Spud Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. He calls to you who, the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Trumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings and our hola, amigos. For the record, I will stipulate to the allegation I am Spud Goodman. Spud <laughs> <laughs> <Fud> man. <laughs> Welcome everyone to our little radio show. It has been specifically designed just for you. We have completed exhaustive research into what you, the listener, wants to hear. But, you know, let me warn you, I'll probably do the exact opposite. I just don't believe in research, okay? So I'm gonna wing it if you don't mind. I will apologize in advance if I'm too annoying, but I, I gotta be me, you know? I'm Danny Powers! So right now I need to introduce our show's designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Give us an adequate chuckle. Oh, how about this? <laughs> oh, not my best, but yeah. still not too shabby. Uh, it'll do in a pinch. Okay. So now I will do my job as required and formally acknowledge our show's temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. Uh, let's try and make this a painless experience. Just acknowledge my acknowledgement of you through maybe uh, like a Facebook post. Yeah, you have your phone with you, right? And why, why don't you log on to that page you share with your wife if if she's giving you that freaking password? Yeah, well... Okay, why would I use social media to respond when I could just take a minute or maybe two to personally express over the air how excited I am to be here? Well, and what the I reason is because be it's a new world now. Expressing yourself in person is so 2005. Uh. Social media is the go-to option to reach the masses with your talking points. Just ask the Russians. Russia, if you're listening... All right. Okay, sure. I guess I could log on to Facebook and, and post something. I know my wife would be okay with me doing this if if I gave her sufficient reason. <laughs> I, I've got the password written down on my wallet here if you, you want know, me to you know, get it. On second thought, we, we don't have time to wait for you to log on to Facebook, man. Well, and just just say thanks for me letting you participate in this show. Okay, I mean, okay. you could be locked up in the storeroom until we're off the air, as some have suggested. So... Just go ahead and say a word or two. Not three or four, though. Thank you. I... Like I, like I said, two, not three. So, well, here's something I wanted to bring up. It, it, yeah, it's a subject that's been circulating around this studio lately. And as it concerns me, um, I, I just feel it's incumbent on me to address it. Well, as I wait, have... wait. Is this about you taking up two parking spaces with your new car? It is kind of oh. selfish, as yeah. there are limited yeah. stalls available for us. Excellent. Why, just last week I had to park three blocks away from the studio, and it was raining really hard. You know, Spud, Sorry if, about that. if we're going to bring up the parking situation, it 
does seem to all of us here that using two spaces for your car is a bit unfair. Well, yes, occasionally I do take up two spaces with my my new car. I know. Okay, it's like a 2015, but but it's a collector's item. They don't make that many Chevy Impalas, all right? And, and, And why do I do this? Because over the years, you guys dinged up my last car, my beloved Chevy Nova, so much. Uh, my friend who does bodywork said it was like something from a demolition derby. So many scratches and little dents. But still, th- there's it's considerable resentment here among your co-workers as no one likes a parking stall hog. Shut up and dribble. No, they don't. He's right on that, Spud. Thank you. Okay. I'll try and keep it till I... How about this? One and a half parking slots. Because oh, that would give someone with a motorcycle space, you know, en- enough room to park there. So, eh, let's just move on. What I wanted to bring up was this talk about me gaining satisfaction from others' failures. I hear people, you know, talking about this stuff when I leave the room and stuff. It's just not true. I don't appreciate being tagged with this. It's not fair. Well, uh, you know what? Now that you bring up this topic, we all have felt for a long time that you you do gain pleasure at others' misfortune. Uh, like when I was written up last month for not meeting my sales quota at my other position with South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. It just felt that you reveled in my struggle. I I know I took it personally. Well, no need to. But but don't expect me to be happy for you selling carpet remnants and linoleum, okay? I'm a radio guy, not a Home Depot floor manager. Yes, Gerald. When you have a good month in sales, you do tend to strut like a peacock around here. Well... You seem much more human when you are mired in despair. Everything bad that can happen to a person has happened to me. You know what? I would expect all of my friends to share in my joy when I attain my sales goals. Why would anyone root for me to have terrible sales figures? I don't I don't root for you to fail. I, I just don't dig you bragging about, you know, stuff that goes your way. Well, That's bragging. Yeah. You know, if you could succeed without saying anything about it, I could live with that, you know? Be honest. You know you, you know, get a kick out of me getting yelled at for whatever by our illustrious executive producer at staff meetings. I can see your face, you know, when she's going off on me. Admit it. That is messed up, yo. Uh, you know, I, I guess I guess you could say at times I've been somewhat... Uh... Like at home when I'm not an intern and I'm playing video games online and someone else gets crushed by a 9 or 10-year-old. It makes me feel really, really good. Well, that is very normal. Was Chance Andrew giving permission to jump in right then? Well, now just let him talk. And Gerald, it's okay to say that you gain satisfaction from Spud's admonishments from management. I would guess you feel on each occasion it gets you just a little closer to maybe getting his job. Well, should management can him that is. Come on, you don't have to pretend. Here, we're all adults. You know, Chance has turned 21 recently. Oh, yeah. Happy belated birthday, Chance. Uh, Well, listen, I don't actually pray for Spud to be fired. That's never happened. Not an official uh, prayer to our Lord. No Bible stories for you tonight. You know, unofficial prayers count, too. You know, those improvised ones, they go out into the universe. Yeah, I just want to make that point. But yeah. hey, right now, just can you check and see if our first guest is ready? 
Oh, yeah, and I'm being told that your first guest, Lenny James, is waiting to speak with you. Now, he's been on before, right? Uh, he's on that Walking Dead show, I believe. Well, your memory isn't totally defective. Thank yes, you. Yes, Lenny has been on our show previously, and yes, he was on The Walking Dead, but he's on Fear the Walking Dead these days. You know, he traveled a very dangerous journey from one show to the other. It wasn't easy. Oh, Lenny James is a true warrior. He may seem like the quiet, introspective type on the show, but outside of my sweetie chance, of course, he would be the one guy I would want watching out for me if and when the Earth is really run over by zombies. Now, Mrs. Jarvitz, I have not read anything about zombies or or, uh, walkers, for that matter, in school growing up. Really? Yeah, if they were real or, or were going to someday surround us, we would be taught all about them. Let them know we're on our trail, doing everything we can, but most of all, keep everybody calm. There are some things that, you know, the government won't allow us to learn about. You know, like that Area 60 or 70 or whatever, you know, it... If they weren't a real potential threat someday, why would Hollywood make so many damn movies and TV shows about them? Just put Lenny through, please. Yeah, here he is. Welcome back to the show, actor-writer Lenny James. Thanks for checking in with us again. It is my pleasure. How you been? Excellent, excellent. So season five of Fear the Walking Dead is now happening Sunday nights on AMC at 9, 8 central. Man, time flies as it, as it seems season four just finished up, but I am ready for this. Yeah, it really has flown. Um, it just seems like, I don't even know, it doesn't feel like it was a year ago that I was packing up in um, uh, Atlanta and um, flying over to Austin to um, to be in the spin-off, to be in fear. Right. Well, you know, to me, your character, Morgan Jones, has just a tiny little bit of Billy Jack in him. For those who remember the old Billy Jack movies, he's very quiet, a, a peaceful, zen-like dude, but don't push him over the edge. Is, is it tough for you to play a character who suppresses his emotions to such a degree? No, I love it. I mean, I, I love, the, I love the, the relationship that it gives you with the audience because, you know, in the case of Morgan, if you followed him on... The Walking Dead and then traveled with him over to Fear, you're, you know as much about his history as he does, and you've seen it. You've seen his relationship to his wife. You know his relationship to his son. You know, um, you know uh, about Eastman. You know about, um, uh, about Carol. You know how connected he is to Rick. You know that he got shot by Carl. You right. know all of those things. You know about his relationship with King Ezekiel and Shiva, all of those things I can carry with me and and are already in the minds of the audience. So they're aware of what he's suppressing. It's not a, a kind of secret. They've seen the beast inside and they um, they know what his struggle is. So, no, I really enjoy it. Yeah, he's a very deep character, very layered. Uh, yeah, but anyway. Um, and that's, that's, that's credit to you, of course. Um, Let's take a deep dive in, into the walkers for a moment. You know, they never get interviewed. If you ever had to play one, what would be your motivation? It's tough to convey emotion when you really can't say a word. Ugh and ah, it just doesn't express much. Ugh and ah. Um, I, uh, you know, I suppose, I mean, I'd be lying if I, you know, said to you I'd never thought about it because we all think about it because ultimately that probably how we're all going to end up at some point. Yeah. Um, 
so um, I, I guess I just like Stephen Ogg when um, he was uh, he had his out and he was chained to the fence um, uh, with the survivors encampment. Um, he he did a thing where because it was early days for him and he hadn't completely turned that um, or hadn't been too long into the turn where there was still a sense of who he was before. And I thought that was a lovely decision that he kind of made. Um, I think the way that Sasha went out, the way that um, uh, when she came out of the coffin and, and went for right. Negan, I, I think that was a beautiful um, way out. I'd like my transition to, um, uh, I suppose, be a bit like a bit like that, like Sinequa's, really, which is that it had at least an attempt to save others or rescue others or had something selfless about it, I guess. I think that would be in fitting with Morgan. Well, let's hope your transition doesn't happen for a very long time, really long time. You, so. and, me, you and me both, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spud. What? I have to interject here. The word transition is something that I personally find disturbing. Yet people don't transition. They go to heaven or uh, hell in your case. I've never read a single Bible verse about transitioning into zombies. I don't believe this actually happens. Oh, Lenny, I need a brief moment. I think you're getting caught up in semantics. Just think of those well, walkers as, as people who, you know, didn't make the cut. You know, you know, didn't pass muster to get into heaven, or so they're stuck on earth as zombies after the apocalypse. That would be hell on earth, as there, you know, would be no cable TV, no fast food, there's no video games, because where do you get, there's no electricity, or, I don't know, maybe they have solar panels, but, but being a zombie would be just as much of a bummer as burning in hell. Well... I really don't know for sure what happens to us when we die, but I'm planning on having my ashes spread out in front of whatever is the closest Bed Bath & Beyond, as that is my favorite store. Huh. And, of course, it's my happy place. I spend a great deal of time there. So many neat products. That, I, 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 don't, I don't even know how to respond to that. Good, because I have to get back to Lenny. Okay, where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, one thing I have noticed about the walkers is there are no overweight ones. Is that because, like, a zombie can never eat you know, and never be fat because of a diet of only high protein, not much carbs? I've never seen a tubby zombie in any movie or TV show. I think we've had, we've had, we've been, we've done all right on the various shapes and sizes. Um, I, I think that, you know, basically it is uh, the nature of the emaciation oh, of what yeah, yeah. happens kind of once you, um, you know, stop taking food the way you used to and, you know, and it's a full-on protein diet. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure we want to dive too much into this, but... Um, All right, well, I'm just curious. It, um, it, yeah. make, it kind of makes you, um, it, it, it can make you leaner. Right, and they, that makes sense. But one last question is about on the walking situation, because you have fought them on both the walking dead and now fear the walking dead. Have you noticed any difference in tactics on how they fight uh, from, from each show? Are they are they pretty much the same, or do they have different in differences in their body movements or how fast they move, you know? I think on um, fear they're a little faster. Oh. I don't know why that is, but I think they're a, I think they're a, um, they're a little faster, and um, and it's a very you know it's you know secrets of the trade, um, partly because of shapes and sizes, and when you're fighting them, there are you know there are only 
And because they have to carry such so much prosthetics and they have to be stunt people, we kind of end up fighting the same people over and over again, just with different makeup. Right. And that's true on that's true on both shows. We have a core of kind of um, stunt walkers um, who, you know, whenever I arrive on set and we're doing a different interaction with the the walker, they always arrive on set fully made up, and each time I have to reintroduce myself to the person under the mask. So I arrive on set and I go, who have we got under there? And they'll say, oh, it's Brandon. And I go, hey, Brandon, how are you doing? And um, and I have this kind of relationship with them. But if Brandon walks up to me um, on the street um, outside of his makeup and went, hey, I literally wouldn't know who that person was until they told me. So it's, um, it's a very uh, odd relationship we have with them because we very rarely see them out of makeup. Right, that's, that's pretty cool you hang out with them because that, that would be a thankless job in the heat that you guys shoot in. But anyway, well, let me move on to no, another we topic. Gotta look after, we've got to look after our walkers. They're the ones who make a huge difference. Yep. We, we, the, show, the show is not the show without them. They are vital. Well, so, uh, yeah, we, keep, we want them to come back. All right, super. Well, Lenny, you're also a playwright. Do you attempt to get much writing done between takes on the set? You shoot in Georgia, Texas, and a bunch of other warm environments. Is it tough to find a cool place to get much writing done? I don't really. Uh, um, I don't. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you know um, I'm splitting hairs, but I, I can't write on set. Okay. I can't. Um, it, there's just isn't the brain space thing. It's, it's too involving, really. I mean, in, during breaks, I could possibly rewrite. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't create anything else on um, on set while I'm um, while I'm busy trying to hold on to who Morgan is and what we're doing with him on that particular day. But you know, during lunch breaks or you know in turnarounds when we've got a bit of a break, there are occasions when I might go back to my trailer and pull out my computer and maybe try and um, rewrite um, a scene that I've already created. But it's very few and far between. I, tend to do it on days off, weekends, or when I've got a break. All right, super. Well, instead of me ending this interview with my cliche industry question, you know, what's your most memorable moment, I wanted to mention you have a refreshing take on celebrity and fame. I mean, you're attempting to induce society to honor those outside the glare of the spotlight, correct? I am, I do, yeah. I think that there's an overemphasis on, on fame and, you know, because to a great or lesser extent, if you're... If you're a sports person or if you're an actor or if you're, you know, just a reality person, I don't know. The fact that people know who you are doesn't necessarily give you any more legitimacy than than anybody else, really. And I think this focus on fame sometimes leads people to be disappointed or feel um, uh, less than. And I don't think that's kind of healthy. I think that there are people who are not famous, who are doing remarkable things, and, and some people who are just doing simple things. I think the, 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 the mother or father who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning because they've got to do three jobs on that particular day in order to support their family, I think those people are heroes. I think those people are as much have as much worth in um, or should have as much worth in our world as somebody who just happened to get lucky and is on a television show. Um, wow. I don't think I don't think there's um, uh, any more that any more value should be placed on you know on me because I'm on a television show than 
you know, um, any, than anybody else. I just, I find the whole notion of celebrity, you know, something that I, and um, that I, and I don't want to sound kind of pompous about it, but it's something that I have to tolerate. It's not something I, um, it's not my ambition. Um, in fact, I think it works against me as an actor. I think the more people know about me, the, my, my fear is, is the less they'll believe my characters. Um, and I, I would quite like to be um, anonymous outside of the characters that I put forward. Um, oh. and, my, and my private life is my private life. And, um, and I hold that very dear to protect my, you know, my family right. from this misconception of celebrity. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate you, you, you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So let me remind everyone that Fear the Walking Dead has now returned for season five on AMC Sundays at nine, eight central. We really appreciate you spending some time with us again. Thank you so much, Mr. Lenny James. Not at all. Pleasure speaking to you. I'll see you soon. Hi, right, Mr. Trump, can I, can I call you Donald or... Tell me whatever you want. This is the Spud Goodman Show. Long-term goals, uh, President King, uh, I mean, you nah, can do anything. anything? Just, just want to keep it going. Have a good right. time. Thank nice you Nice seeing much. you, my friend. Be good. This is the Spud Goodman Show. All right, let's get some music going now. Here's a song by a band out of Los Angeles, The Lords Altamont, uh, titled Cyclone, which was off their album Lords Have Mercy, released in 2005. A lively little tune. Hit it. You ride a bike and you're guilty. I wear beads and I'm guilty. But what I'm talking about with you guys is something more than that. Like, what about Altamont? There was a guy killed here.
is the Spud Goodman Show. Spud Goodman to Anulo. Spud Goodman to Anulo. Hey, uh, Spud. Yeah. Our show's resident Ooh. psychic, Ted Marr, is holding for you. Well, I'll put him through. I have something very important to you, talk to him you, about. Do his plug. You do want me plug. to do his plug? Okay. Yes. Uh, Ted Marr can be heard each Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. on KKNW 1150 a.m. and on the web. show's resident psychic, Mr. Ted Marr. How you doing? Oh, hey, Spud. It's so good to talk to you. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, so I'd like to ask you about a topic that, uh, well, that's given me great pleasure and pain over the years, and that's gambling. The truth is, there, you know, there's been much more pain than pleasure, and that's why I wanted to get your input and see if I can, you know, maybe try a new approach to turn this thing around. I, I was wondering if you would be my wingman at the casino the next time. You, you could, like... You know, I mean, the difference between winning or, or me cleaning out my checking account with too many visits to the ATM one more time. Oh, I would love to be your wingman and to help you on that. Actually, I got some, several messages from the other side from the spirit world regarding gambling. Oh. And I think it'll be really kind of fun to talk and share that with you. Super. Now, I, I'm not going to have you, you know, tell me which machine to go to, but maybe you can point in a direction when we enter the casino, you know, you know, maybe to avoid certain ones like Copper Dropper or Cleopatra, because I always seem to, like, pick the ones that don't let me win, and I know, I know there are video cameras at casinos to stop psychics like you from giving people like me an edge, <laughs> so we would have to use body signals, I don't know, like tug your ear or scratch your nose if, if say, I need to increase my bet from 50 cents to 75 cents. I will scratch my right ear when I when you come close to a machine. When you're at a machine, I want you to gamble at. Oh. And um, yeah, and we'll use that also for increasing increasing the bets. Will be scratching the right ear, oh. and decreasing the bets will be scratching the left ear. It's kind of complicated because I'm really bad with my right and left. But anyway, okay. Well, you know, I think you could really, you know, you would really be helpful and handy at the blackjack table, but I can't play that game at casinos. There's just too much pressure as others around me expect me to, like, follow certain rules, like, you know, keep my mouth shut, don't throw the cards after getting, you know, a, a bunch of Magic 12s dealt me on, you know. If, I, I can't remove rules on the road, basically. Well, the do's and don'ts, well, you know, whether you want to hit or not a hit. And I don't know. I just get so stressful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, the, the main thing is, when you gamble like that, you have to follow your heart. Your heart. Um, and not your logical mind, but your heart. And if you're walking by a machine and, and you get the message, hey, put in a bet, do it, just do it. And then, after you win, um, isn't that a positive thought? I'm saying after you win, not whether you win, but after you win. Um, then, if you get a message that that you play some more and uh, if you start losing money and you get the message that's enough then stop it's fairly simple um, not that the... easy Ted to stop I gotta tell ya <laughs> hey, hey Spud what? I will never understand your obsession with gambling you know it's one of the sed uh, seven deadly sins right hey Ted somebody's bugging me I'll be right back 
Seven deadly sins? Yes. Gambling is not on that list, as I memorized all seven of them. You know, as a little kid, back when my mom made me go to church, I always tried to limit myself to never go over three of those seven sins. You know, at one time, or at least in that week, eh, I don't know, I figured that would keep me on the right side of the law. Okay, okay, I, I guess gambling isn't officially listed as one of the seven deadly sins. Yes. But it, it clearly fits under both greed and, and uh, gluttony, and it's a path to hell. What? Well, if they have slot machines down there, so be it. I, I could deal with it. But just let me get back to Ted to finish this thing up. All right, I'm back. Let's talk sports betting. I want to get into that. It's getting okay. approved all over the country, and all the legis- state legislatures are kind of going for it as a revenue uh, you know, maker. Mm-hmm. Do, do your friends and family constantly bug you about who's going to win this game or that horse race? Because I'm guessing you're the best friend of a lot of people when it comes to this. I do have a friend. Um, he's re- he's retired, retired attorney, and he calls me up, and he always wants me to, to always ask me for the Kentucky Derby and different horse races. Yep. He likes to play the trifecta: who comes first, second, third. Right. And he says, Ted, if we win, it's like two hundred thousand dollars for a two dollar bet. So I'm happy to give him information on that, All and right. I have helped him win in the past. Super. Well, I, I was kind of wondering, if, could you maybe look into the future and give me a hint? You know, if, if some team is is going to beat the Patriots in the next Super Bowl, I'm sure, you know, they'll, they'll probably be there. I, I don't need it now, but around the holidays, maybe you could text me with a tip. Uh, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be happy to do that. Once once a lady called me up about lottery numbers, um, and uh, I contacted her. Most of the time when you ask about lottery numbers, the spirits on the other side will start laughing. Um, but because they want you to work for the money. But there was one instance where I contacted this uh, lady's grandfather, and there were like, I don't remember now, five or six numbers needed for the lotto, and he gave me the first two. So that was the start. Yeah. That was something. Super. It was true. He gave, he gave me the first two, and um, um, and then he wanted her to, to meditate on the rest. But we did get the first two numbers correctly okay. on the winning lotto, lotto numbers. So, um but that was nice of him. Right. <laughs> that was nice of him. All right. I'm going to let you go because I'm betting you have some ghost to get rid of or, or do another card reading for someone. So just thanks a bunch for doing this. Hey, my, my pleasure. My pleasure, Spot. And be sure to get back to me on the horse races because um, I'd love to do that for you, help you win a couple hundred thousand or a couple million dollars. Count on it. I'll be getting in touch. There you have it, Mr. Ted Marr, our show's resident psychic. The excitement continues on the Spud Goodman Radio Show following this brief intermission. He had no money. He had no sense in his brain. He was Spud Goodman, but that didn't get in his way. He was a blind receiver on the wall of shame. And all the people joined in because they like how he swayed. He swayed like this. Spud Goodman. Spud Goodman. Spud Goodman. Spud Goodman. Spud Goodman. Goodman. We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. You know, Spud, I don't think it's healthy to gain pleasure from others' misfortune. 
I will now be more aware of this tendency. Really, after more thought, I I think it could be an actual sin. Well, maybe so, but it's a basic human tendency, especially if the other person's a dick. And now I'm not talking about horrible things happening to someone else. You know, just that they they don't get to taste total victory all the time. I'm more of a front-stabbing person. (laughs) I believe the formal definition of this would be called schadenfreude. It's a common human reaction to others' perceived ill-gotten gains. According to the dictionary site on my phone here, it says schadenfreude is the experience of pleasure, joy, or self-satisfaction that comes from learning of or witnessing the troubles, failures, or humiliation of another. Well, yeah. Okay. Truth be told, you know, when I'm ordered to interview a guest that I may not, you know, be interested in by management, um, I do gain some satisfaction when I hear in staff meetings that the ratings for that particular show sucked. It's not personal, son. It's strictly business. You're ignoring your own responsibility in a particular show doing poorly ratings-wise. It may be convenient to blame it on a guest you may not be interested in, but you're fooling yourself if you gain pleasure from that. I know you don't want to hear, I didn't want, you didn't want to interview Newt Gingrich, but you know, he's the former speaker of the House of Representatives. It is possible you weren't on top of your game on that one. Uh, Newt never let me get a word in. That dude keeps writing those Trump fanboy books, so I'm guessing I'm going to be told to interview him again in the future, and I'm predicting right now that that show will blow too. Most politicians are really boring, you know, with their talking points to regurgitate. Oh, Newt Gingrich does seem to have a really strong man, man crush on Trump. It's kind of, well, it's it's actually kind of creepy. Well, all right, you guys. What do you expect? His wife works in the Trump administration. I, I believe she's the ambassador to the Vatican. He can't be critical of him. And it only makes common sense. What do you mean? I work with you, and, and I have no problem being honest and letting the listeners know when you say well, and do dumb stuff. I may only be an intern, but I do find myself having those feelings at times working with you, Spud. Uh, I don't openly wish that you would suddenly choke on a pretzel or fall down the stairs here at work. Yeah, I hope not. I'm not going to lie. It wouldn't be the worst thing that could happen. I think that's why I threaten you, Spud. I speak truth to power. Yes! Oh, Chance, that is just one of the many things that I adore about you. Your courage and strength is so impressive. That, and you are, cute as can be. Thank you, Dorothy. I think you're really hot, too. Oh, Yeah, sweet. and I'm going to puke here if anyone cares. Yes, but schadenfreude is a very destructive thing, and I will make a real effort to refrain from this in the future. What's with you, Joha? It's the right thing to do. Maybe, but uh, I don't think it's possible, as it's a natural part of life, in my opinion. Yeah. What's more normal than not, you know, wanting, say, your ex-wives, uh, you know, to find someone more successful and, and with a full head of hair? I mean, come on. Uh, Spud, your last guest, Lance Reddick, is holding for you. Okay, Lance is one of those actors who, with, like, one look, can convey a ton of feelings. He's been in some of the greatest TV shows ever made, okay? Uh... 
Some people maybe just can't remember his name, but once you see him, it's like, oh, that guy, like on Oz and The Wire, he was incredible. He's also on that show Bosch on Amazon Prime, too. And he is, you know, but right, right now, he, he wants to talk to me about the new John Wick movie that he's in. Oh, the John Wick movies are so cool. I would pay anything to see uh, any movie with Keanu Reeves in it. I like Lance, too. He plays another police department leader in Bosch and almost steals each episode he's in. I know, he's totally. A, he is a great actor. Yeah, uh, John Wick, is that a founding father of this country? I, I believe he co-wrote the Constitution, right? Look, alternative facts are not facts. Uh, John Wick is an ex-hitman. Oh, who yes, but based- I don't think any of our founding fathers were ex-hitmen. Come on. These guys, they make millions of dollars. They're smart as hell. It's a freaking movie, dude. Just put Lance through. Yeah, here he is. Please welcome actor and musician Lance Reddick. We appreciate you checking in with us. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you have a new little movie out now in theaters. John Wick 3 Parabellum. John Wick. I, I think I've heard of those first two flicks before. Give us the basics on the new one. Yeah, they're, they're, they've gone on the radar, so most people probably haven't heard of them. But um, it's uh, <laughs> right. The, the third film is um, uh, it's a continuation of the, the. It's basically a continuation of the trilogy. It's because the the way the films are laid out, they're almost like one uh, long novel, and each is a chapter. Um, uh, no pun intended. But um, where the second film ends is John is on the run for his life with uh, a $14 million bounty on his head um, right. after uh, breaking one of the cardinal rules of the Continental Hotel, um, which is this international, which is this uh, hotel that, uh, uh, five-star hotel that caters to uh, this international guild of assassins. And so um, from the moment the, the third movie starts, it picks up with John on the run on, uh, on the street pretty much right after he's left uh, myself and Winston, Ian McShane's character at the end of uh, chapter two. So-, so the third film really follows his journey uh, at, 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 uh, at first survival and then kind of um, uh, re-self-definition as, a, as, a, as an assassin. Um, and you find out more about this international guild of assassins. You actually get to see another continental in another part of the world. Um, you right. find out more about my character and more about Ian McShane's character and our relationship because even though uh, for, for my character, Sharon, uh, Ian is the, the primary relationship in the films, uh, this is the first film that you actually see us together on screen. Super. Um, Super. And uh, yeah, yeah, and, and more action, more, yeah, more everything. Well, Lance, you've played some really interesting characters, both on the silver screen and on TV. Let's, let's touch on a few of your projects. Way back, you were a cast member of the HBO show Oz. Now, we've had a number of others from the series on their show. Ernie Hudson, Christopher Maloney, Harold Perrineau, um, Adewale, Akinaway, Agbaji. We had we got to get J.K. Simmons and a couple others on to complete the set, and I'm crossing you off right now. It was a huge cast. So my question is, how much fun was it for you to spend 10 to 12 hours a day in a musty, fake lockup facility? Was it smelly in there? It was great. It, w- it was. Would you say it was smelly? Was it, it kind of smelly in there? <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, it was. It was rank. No, I'm kidding. It was actually. Uh, you know, it's a set, so uh, it's 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 not really as small as it seems. Okay. Um, you know, on the other side of the wall, there's a lot of open air. Um, but it was uh, for me. If I would say there was a there was a big break for me in my career, Oz was it. 
You were great. So uh, it was for me. It was a thrill to um, have the opportunity to play that role of that show at that time, uh, and to be among all those great actors. You know, because it was just it was full of um, great um, um, intense theater actors. Yes. So it was a fabulous experience. Well, you were later on what is quite probably the best American drama series ever made, The Wire, again on HBO. Now, you played Cedric Daniels, who worked his way up uh, the, the Baltimore Police Department to commissioner. He did, like, 59 episodes, so I guess he had, you know, decent career pro- progress until you resigned rather than lied because you wouldn't sell out. I really respected you, or, or Cedric. I mean, <laughs> that must have been a meaningful role for you. Oh, that was, I mean, if, if Oz was my big break, um... The Wire was a career-defining moment. Um, you know, when I, when I, first of all, when I read the script, when I read the uh, the pilot script before I even auditioned, it's the only it's the only pilot script I've ever read that uh, from the moment I finished it, I thought I have to be on the show. It is uh, uh, first of all, it read like the first chapter of a novel. Second of all, the it was so dense that McNulty was the only major character that I could pick out. All the other characters, I, I couldn't tell how big the roles were. Um, so I didn't even know what role I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to be on the show. You, you know, Spud, what? Well, when I'm interviewed by the media later in my career, I'll have to list my time here on the Spud Goodman Show as my big break. Uh, the position that propelled my career forward. I mean, everyone has to start somewhere, and this was my first baby step to, uh, to stardom someday. Hey Lance, give me a minute here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't think being a co-host can be described as a big break. Well, I, I mean, know. if I was you, I would never put it down on job applications in the future. It could kill your chances for anything oh, decent. Yeah, I agree. I would just try and forget you ever worked on this show, Gerald. If you want to move on to a real job in the industry. Well, so far it's my only experience in show business. I have to put it down on my resume. Uh, Sure, I'm extremely proud of my other job as assistant floor manager at South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. South Seattle, South Seattle, South Seattle Carpet and Linoleum. But I want to eventually go all in with the radio career. Uh, well, good luck with that, okay? You have a better chance of walking on the moon someday. Now let me get back to Lance. All right, I have returned. Yeah, go ahead. Everything David Simon touches kind of turns to gold, huh? Well, he, um, it's interesting. When we were, sh- when we were at the premiere for the third season of The Wire, he said, um, you know, he got up and spoke before uh, they screened it. And one of the things he said, I will never forget, he said, you know, The Wire is not meant as entertainment. I'm, I'm really, I'm very happy if people are entertained by it, but it's really meant as a sociopolitical debate. Yeah. And so um, the, the thing about David is that uh, there's, there's a, a, I don't even want to say commentary, but there's, a, there's, there's social and political discussion in everything he does. And for him, I feel like that's the point of why he does television it's not about uh creating entertainment so so in that regard there's a a certain standard of um of realism and integrity that uh he pushes for and maintains um just because just because his his what he's shooting for is so different right uh and i think that that's why all his stuff is just so incredible well 
You know, you've been in two other shows that some not-so-quick viewers might need a bit of help in understanding what's going on, like Lost and, of course, Fringe, which you did 85 episodes playing the character Philip Broyles. So did you always get what was going on on both of those shows, or did you ever have to, like, ask other cast or crew members for some help? Lost, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I mean, listen, that That's what Harold Perrineau <laughs> no, said. I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit. Harold Perrineau said mean, that. when I was... I mean, in each episode that I was in, if I asked if I asked questions of the producers and the writers and the directors, you know, they'd give me answers that kind of made sense. But then when I actually go, like, kind of look at the scope of the story, I'm like, I'm still scratching my head a little bit. So, wait, what was that? Because yeah. the other thing about my character on Lost is that uh, it was it was originally supposed to be a big, uh, bigger character with a much longer story arc. But because I was casting Fringe so soon after I was casting Lost, because I was casting Lost at the end uh, at the end of uh, shooting the last season of The Wire and at the end of August. Huh. And then I was casting Fringe in January, uh, just just like four, four months later. So, um, you know, immediately they had to juggle me on two shows. And, um, yeah, so in the middle of the first season of Fringe, uh, when I went back to shoot an episode of Lost, uh, I was dead. So hey. I never, so I, I never found out what the character was supposed to be. <laughs> All right. Well, well, you co-star on the Amazon series Bosch now in season five. Great, great show, by the way. You play Police Chief Irving. You tend to always be cast as the head guy. I, I can see why. It makes sense. You seem to have like really good leadership skills. So, but do you ever want to play a bad guy? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and um, yeah. I mean, I've really, uh, you know, and it's really just, it's just been since The Wire. You know, because what's interesting about that is that, um, um, and I, it, one of the things I love about uh, uh, my role in John Wick is that he's not the head guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very, very different kind of role. Yeah. But um, 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 the, inter- the interesting thing about The Wire is that when I went to audition for that show, Daniels, I auditioned for three, three different roles. And Daniels was the last role that I auditioned for because they didn't want to see me. And I auditioned really? for Bunk, the, the role that, uh, yeah, that Wendell uh, Pierce immortalized. Yes. Uh, I auditioned for that role three times. And in my last audition, David asked, actually asked me to read Bubbles on the spot. Um, because he cast me as a crackhead in the corner. And then, you know, and Oz, you know, even though I play uh, a police detective, I actually end up, you know, being a heroin addict, becoming a heroin addict. So he just see me play two um, drug addicts in a row. And I was actually ended up being second choice for Bubbles. If Andre Royal hadn't taken that role, I would have been Bubbles. So, really? you know, it, it has more, I feel like it has more to do with uh, the last thing that you do well that is prominent. That's what Hollywood tends to think of you as. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I know you got all sorts of stuff to do, and I know you got to go, but I got to at least, at least say this uh, on the air. You, you got a new film coming out sometime soon, Godzilla vs. Kong. I mean, I don't even want to, I don't even want to, you know, I can't ask you who won because, you know, anyway, never mind. But, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I know, and I, ho- I certainly hope you lived so you can get and maybe I on the rematch. Tell you, I mean, I, and that- yeah, I couldn't tell you. Not in a lost way where I don't understand what happened. Uh, I, I'm not allowed to say anything about that movie. <laughs> All right, I got you. I understand So, unfortunately, that. I can't give you any details. All right. Well, let me remind people like they need it. Your new film, John Wick 3, The Parabellum, is now in theaters everywhere on Earth. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us. Oh, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Mr. Lance Reddick. Hi, 
Hi, this is Cherie Curry from The Runaways, and you are listening to the one and only Spud Goodman Show. Woohoo! Now. <laughs> All right, more music, please. Why don't we cue up a nifty song by The Runaways, whose original lead vocalist, Cherie Curry, as you just heard, was a prior guest on this show. Man, very, very cool woman. Here is American Nights off their self titled debut album released in 1976. Well, 
Like I was saying earlier, there's nothing to be ashamed of when that schadenfreude thingy kicks in. Sure, sure it's not cool if you revel in someone's like really bad luck, you know, like a host of another radio show at this station that will remain nameless, losing everything he has, you know, on a Vegas gambling binge. But historically, I know some of the world's greatest minds have succumbed to this. Courtney, Chloe. Do you really believe that Nikola Tesla, that dude, didn't enjoy whenever Thomas Edison screwed up? How about most NBA fans, you know, how they feel whenever Michael Westbrook from the Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, loses a game or misses a shot? Well, I'll, I'll yeah, tell you, it feels good. Well, yeah, and I would guess Abraham Lincoln felt pretty good when Robert E. Lee had to surrender at, at Appomattox. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll grant you that, but the tendency of our fellow man to gain pleasure in another's Look, failure? I'm not ashamed uh, of my occasional embrace of this. I'm well, just going to say it. I, I'm not going to back off, okay? For instance, in the Super Bowl two years ago, I did gain a great deal of satisfaction when the Patriots lost to the Eagles. And I'm no fan of Philadelphia, but it was almost as pleasant as average sex or, or a perfect slice of pizza. <laughs> now, what would make you root against the greatest team serious, of all time? Uh, listen, I know it was upsetting to President Funny. Trump, but I hope you didn't root against New England just because our commander-in-chief is a big fan. Tom Brady loves me. Uh, no, but that did make it way sweeter. I'm talking way sweeter. And, and that's why this last year's Super Bowl, you know, when the Patriots won, was so much of a downer. Just, just not my favorite Super Bowl, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a caller who wants to join in the conversation. I put him on hold. You know, I remember when I was little, I really enjoyed it when my ex-best friend Greg lost his lunchbox. It was a Star Wars lunchbox. I really wanted my mom to buy me one of those lunchboxes, but... Hey, Chance, this is going to be a long story. Yeah. She said my plain old one was fine, and after Greg lost his lunchbox, his mom made him use paper sacks from then on until high school. All right. But I'll admit, even though he was devastated back then, it made me feel my plain old lunchbox wasn't that lame after all. I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. Do you want me to put the call through? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, hey, but can I ask if you had anything to do with his missing lunchbox? You kind of sucked me into this story, like one of those, you know, whodunit murder mysteries, you know, those podcasts that are so popular. I would rather not respond to that question, but I will say this. Greg seemed to become a better person when he had to deal with life without his totally cool lunchbox. He was much more humble, more human, and yeah... I guess, likable. Well, it's never too late to get something off your chest if you want to come clean someday. You know, about the real story behind that lunchbox. But do it on our show, though, when you're ready. Yes! You can put the caller through now. Hey, caller, you there? Yeah, so I was thinking, uh, no one needs to feel guilty or embarrassed about enjoying someone else's failure. Right, that's what I've been saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as long as they don't get, like, physically hurt or, like, their house gambling at a casino. Yeah, well, I already said, I, I kind of know a guy who, who just did that, but, but I want to believe no, and what you're saying is true, but uh, I do tend to engage in this behavior quite a bit. See, that's where I'm a little bit conflicted here because, I mean, it kind of dominates my thought process yeah, at well, times. Well, yeah, look, I, I got a best friend who totally screwed me over a couple years ago, and I won't get into the details, 
Uh, but when I learned he was getting divorced, I mean, it made my day, month, and year. I mean, a best friend doesn't steal your girlfriend and later marry her. And for sure, he doesn't steal all of his ex-best friend's record collection in the divorce settlement. I'm so wrong. Over the line! Maybe both of you are jerks and deserved what you got. It's a possibility. I know I'm not supposed to join in the conversation with callers, but since I have already yeah, done it not, now, but okay, okay, whatever. Can I ask if your ex-best friend ever gave you back any of your records after the divorce? I'm into collectibles myself, and God forbid Dorothy and I ever split up and she kept any of my vintage video games. It would be quite upsetting. Honey, I would never attempt to obtain any of your personal property in a divorce proceeding even though we do live in a community property state. Yeah, we definitely do. And I can you, tell you about that. Yes, and, and I do have to say, you are getting way ahead of yourself. We are just going steady right now. If and when the time comes for us to take the plunge, I can assure you we will draw up a prenup to cover our personal belongings. You had me at hello. Okay, good to know, babe. Fine. Can I get back into the conversation here? Yeah, okay. But this schadenfreude deal is something everybody feels from time to time. I know when I heard my fifth grade teacher, who, by the way, flunked me in math and English, and I had to take summer school classes, was recently fired for smoking pot in the teacher's lounge. I, as you know, am dubious about marijuana. Yeah, it's been a many years, and too bad it was for a lame reason to can him, but it did make me feel good for a few days. Well, I, I kind of feel sorry for your old fifth grade teacher now after hearing that story. He, he might have had a tough day dealing with a class of spoiled brats, and he self-medicated. This guy's been stoned since the third grade. He just probably should have gone out to his car, though. I mean, but, geez, it is, it's a sad story. Not really. I heard he was planning on retiring anyway. He's got a condo somewhere in Mexico. Yeah, okay, whatever. I, I gotta go, caller, but yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to call in. You know, that wasn't a great wait, call. Wait, wait, wasn't wait I, got, I got another story. This one's about my old paper boy who never delivered the paper on time. He no, no, get, 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 give, get, get, give, give this guy the hook, please. Anyway, um, okay, I, I got to wrap things up because I, I guess we're running way over. So I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Uh, uh, hey, Spud, real quick, I want to, I want you to know, I pledge to no longer succumb to this schadenfreude problem. I promise to be a better person. Now, will you join me in this pledge? I, I don't like to promise what I can't for sure deliver, okay? I'll think about it, though. Uh, how's that? The Spud Goodman Show is written and directed by Spud Goodman, executive producer Lori Madsen, engineered by Trevor Jastad, and recorded at the facilities of NWCZ Radio, associate producer TJ Pice, video director Wyatt Young, production assistants Brian Martin and Chance Morrison, original music by Mike Spots and Tom Harmon, on-air talent Rob McGee, David Deere, Pam McGee, and Tom Nolan. Copyright 2019 Spud Goodman Productions, David Brenneman speaking. <laughs>